0: I mean everything is simply lovely. Welcome to The Grip on this wonderful Saturday and man another blazing week, another awesome time that we have been sharing and I'm just so excited about it and uh, I'm glad uh, that you have tuned in. So tweet somebody, text somebody, tell them David Anthony with The Grip is on and man we get ready to have another marvelous, marvelous occasion of conversation. So I'm excited about it. And uh, I mean, I really want you to be all in ears and just, you know, relax a little bit. I mean, it is a nice, warm, beautiful Saturday outside. A lot of stuff is going on. And so, man, we certainly want to make sure that we do our part. Now, this past week, Uh, we watched a new president come into office and I was reading some tweets and I was uh, checking out some information. And boy, it was really interesting because someone said that the last couple of days have been like a great church service. Yeah, Uh, they said uh, it's like at the end of a service that you really do not want to leave. And so, man, I'm just so excited about it uh that we are moving into a new era and some great things are going for i am also excited because today i have with me senator natalie murdoch joining me today on the grip senator how you doing
1: doing well good afternoon how are you
0: i'm doing fine i'm doing fine thank you so very much uh for joining me here on the show today and uh Giving me an opportunity to have just a uh, nice dialogue with you as I help my listeners gain um, some innovative and relevant perspectives. And and certainly I know that you are a person who has a lot of knowledge and information, um, not just because of your position, but because of all the things that you are as an individual. So again, thank you so very much uh, for hanging yeah. uh, out with us here uh, on the grip. So uh, let's jump right in. I'm, I'm telling you, you uh, blazed the trail in March, and then in November, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, your numbers were just out the chart, and you're back. You have been sworn in with some other colleagues. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like right now uh, to, to be um, in the position that you're in, the journey that you've had to get to where, uh, to where you are? Uh, what, do, what, do you, what do you say about that whole journey of your life yeah, of public is- service?
1: yes it has been quite a journey and um since i am amongst family i actually have to start before the public service became began um as you know was very active in the church and so i honestly cannot understate how being active in um, the church um, the Amy Zion church really prepared me for politics um that was my first big race i ran for a national office um against four other men um wow. national the only woman running for executive vice president when deandre um was president of the VCYCU council nationally and um it really came to math i always share the story with folks that you have to focus on who your voters are and with that election being that i was from north carolina and a lot of the other folks running were from the southeast I focused on the West. So I focused on the delegates I knew in Alaska and Colorado right. and California. Right. So you know, if you can do math. I said, okay, what other regions can I, can I pick up a lot of votes and it, and it, and it worked. And so in um, public service, it, it really just is about serving um, people. So I think that that definitely connects to my faith and my passion to better in my community. And I think also for me, Um, I've been in the public sector the vast majority of my career. So I believe at 22, 23, I was working in the Asheville area. Um, My coverage area was from five counties to 28. And I was actually charged with um, spending stimulus dollars under one of the Obama stimulus packages for transportation. So That was kind of how I was really thrust into um, the public sector. Um, millions of dollars to spend on transportation infrastructure to um, provide more jobs for the community, um, a lot of local jobs that we can fill that can really impact people's lives. So I was blessed in that God ordered my steps that I was um, thrown into a very specific um, topic and issue. So till this day, I can speak very well around transportation issues because I really understand them. So I think um, advice that I also have for um, anyone looking to run in a public office, what is your issue? You know, if you're an educator, you know, clearly you can speak, you know, a lot about education. For me, it was transportation, economic development. I'm a small business owner, went on to work for Attorney General Josh Stein at the Department of Justice. So when I stepped up to run um, first for soil and water supervisor, um, I also was able to lean on my um, background with my grandfather being a farmer and the fact okay. that I had done a lot of agriculture work for some years. So when I ran for Senate, I was able to say, hey, I have, uh, you know, a resume and a skill set around a number of issues and full circle moment. I'm now on the transportation committee, agriculture and education. So from day one, I can walk into those meetings and, and really, really um, take charge of those conversations. So that's good.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I want you to know that your church Uh, The Amy Zion Church is tremendously proud of you. I know that your peers that you served with in the Varick International Christian Youth Council are tremendously proud of you. Your home church and pastor and and your family, just colleagues around that knew you as you were going forth. Um, I kind of came into the scene midway. Um, When you were already elected and that's how we first met with me taking Mm -hmm. over being the advisor for uh, that great group. And when I look back and I see all of those persons who were involved and where they are in leadership now and what they're doing, you are so right. Um, So I say to my listening audience, if you are a parent and you can get your child involved in some kind of youth organization, whether it's church, whether it's Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, those leadership skills will pay off Um, They will um, bring forth dividends. We are looking at a person who has had so many different uh, hands upon her from family to church wise And uh, the sky's the limit, Uh, the career is just getting started. So we're just excited to uh, to have the conversation with you today. If you're just joining me, this is David Anthony here on The Grip on this Saturday. Thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. And I am talking with none other than Senator Natalie Murdoch uh, the north carolina senate uh senator how many other women are serving right now and specifically more probably like women of color that are with yeah. you in the senate right now
1: This is a historic year. So it was very fitting that, so I represent Durham County. So I have half of Durham County. My district is completely within Durham County. And in 1992, we actually sent the first black woman to the state Senate, Jenny Lucas, um, who was also my proud soror, a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So it took until 1992 for us to have a Black woman in the General Assembly, when I walk those halls, they have portraits of all the previous um, Senate sessions. And so to literally see that change of absolutely no Black people of color, more specifically no African Americans, to seeing, you know, a Black man here and there. Um, Being that I'm from Greensboro, I'm also very familiar with the life and legacy of Justice Henry Fry. Um, Senator Dan Blue that I still served with, who was the first black man to be speaker of the house. Um, Now Senator Toby Fitch also served with um, Senator Blue. So they were legends and we're blessed to still have them with us. But for women, it took until 1992. This year was historic where um, I won't hide from the fact that you know that we had a very difficult year. We did not have the outcomes that we wanted, um, but actually had a record number of women running in the house and the Senate. And um, I wanna highlight um, two members specifically, um, DeAndrea Salvador, Um, when I was elected, I was 35 going on 36. And so I was 36 by the time that I was sworn in. At that time, I was the youngest black woman to ever be elected to the General Assembly. We didn't have any black women under 40 um, in the General Assembly. And so DeAndrea Salvador is one of our new senators out of Mecklenburg County. She ran at 29, elected at 30. And Sydney Batch is in her early 40s, brilliant, phenomenal, um, didn't win her house race, but my colleague Sam Searcy in the Senate resigned and she was appointed to his seat. So we actually added two more black women. Um, So with that, we have eight. We have eight, and I'll have to double check my numbers. I think that's probably a record, um, but women are 50 plus percent of the population, and so we are finally kind of catching up and getting the representation um, that we deserve and been waiting on for a really long time.
0: And that's that's a great piece there to be able to know that history. I heard you start calling off names and probably some of my Uh, listening audience may not be familiar of some of those persons. And as we move into Black History Month, it's always good, um, uh, Senator Ham Blue, uh, persons of that nature to be able to look them up and see the accomplishments that they have made. But I think that's remarkable that there are other women, but also other women of color to share with you in the General Assembly and to be able to be uh, a voice to speak to issues um, that are impacting women, but they're just impacting people. Period. Uh-huh. And so uh, we're, we're making some progress. If you were speaking now to maybe perhaps a a college student or a high school student who was thinking about a life of public service and and politics, what what would you say to them as some advice as to something that they could latch hope to now? Because of course, if we, if we wait until they get out there into a career and decide. Uh, it may be uh, a far gone conclusion. What would you say to them now?
1: I would definitely say um, for one, definitely keep your nose clean, you know, stay out of trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a, a pretty great track record of, of not getting in trouble. So that, that's definitely the the first advice. Whatever you do or have done will come up, you know, in the public square. Um, but more than anything, my advice is, is, is still for them to live their life. I was able to campaign, by saying that I would be a legislator that legislated from her lived experience, from you know just a regular middle class background, you know I knew what it was to have student loans on top of rent on top of um, rising cost of living. Um, you know, having the background as a bureaucrat, which wasn't very sexy, but whatever your, your background is, bring that to the office because that's what makes you unique. You really don't have to be what I would call a cookie cutter, cutter candidate, but you should have a story and you should be comfortable telling that story. Um, even when I look at, you know, Congresswoman Cori Bush in St. Louis, um, I have been following her race closely. She's the first black woman to make it to Congress um, out of St. Louis. And um, right. you know, she came from the Black Lives Matter movement. She was out there literally marching in the streets, literally being thrown to the ground and tear gas. So um, wow. it, it wow. took her two cycles to, to win. Um, I believe Phil, um, victim to, to COVID, I think she was even hospitalized during her campaign, got out and kept campaigning. Wow, and
0: she, listen to that.
1: What we need in this in this space and so for me being able to say um, You know that i'm a black woman, but still can command um, You know issues around environmental advocacy environmental justice transportation. These are all issues that impact the black community Um, But you can't really have anyone in those spaces to speak to that if they if they aren't aware that so my advice would be um, to live your life, but to also find your issue, because your story and what you've lived through your life—that is how you will connect with voters—and also to be your authentic self. Um, I know we're going to talk about a number of other legends, and you never should—you should be inspired by all those individuals. Um, using myself as an example, I'm coming behind two, three legends actually. Jimmy Lucas okay. was the first Black woman in the Senate. Um, Senator McKissick served for 12 years, and he was a lion and a giant in the Senate. Everyone knows who Senator McKissick is. Then um, most recently, Senator Michelle served, who was the dean of the senate longest serving member of the general assembly so i came in behind these three legends but i knew i still had to make this position my own and i think also particularly to women um some great advice that senator harris gives now vice president harris that is spot on um is to to be to be yourself you know you don't you don't have to you don't have to feel as if you have to be a certain thing or a certain person because oftentimes as black women we're doing things and we don't have a reference point we, mm. we don't have a oh i have a lot of other you know women to learn from so you have to chart that path on your own um and also we'll take her quote and saying eat no for breakfast you will be told no i was encouraged to run but i will wow. not shy from the fact that my primary was very difficult um, I'm from Greensboro I wasn't born and raised in Durham so you know took a lot of heat for not being from Durham but luckily provided a lot of service to Durham was very visible was very active in the community so people knew who I was had already won an election so I think also um, you know power isn't just handed over to you you have to fight for it and you have to know that you deserve to be there because you did
0: Wow I was uh, listening to you and uh, as you were quoting Senator Harris and talking about eating no for breakfast and I mean, nope, that's correctly. that's probably got to be something throughout um, this last journey um, of, of watching the election go forth. That 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 probably resonated uh, quite a bit with you as you were just kind of reflecting on uh, what it's like to be out there in the public view and to realize that everybody. Um, it's not going to be for you. You said some earlier about knowing your issue, having an issue, becoming passionate about an issue. I just want to go back to that for a minute as we're talking um, and sharing because um, why is why is that so significant? Uh, if we can just uh, dig a little deeper into the issue that connects you with people, because I think sometimes mm-hmm. people go into service because they say, "Oh, I want, I, I, I want." To make change or or something, or they think they just want to be a part of what's going on. But let, let's dig a little deeper about why you say you have to have a passion around the issue.
1: Yes, whether it be criminal justice reform or um, you are um, so many great examples of black women. Lucy McBath, you know, her son um, you know was killed, you know, at the hands of of you know gun violence or um, you know, Corey Bush that was out marching with Black Lives Matter, or um, you could be a teacher, you know, that's just really passionate about um, budget cuts. My story, I have a number of them um, from the reproductive rights perspective. I remember being in my 20s and then in the middle of the night, um, there was this motorcycle bill that they used to, to take, you know, reproductive rights away from women. And all I could wow. remember thinking was why are all these men, you know, telling me what to do with my body, and so that's a part of my story. And saying now I'm a thirty-something state senator that is here to make a difference with with that. Um, also, as a small business owner, um, I'm able to to have a command around you know small small business issues, but it connects you to people because whatever your issue is there are people that are passionate about it and they will find you based on that really, really being um, the issue that you care about. Again, if you're an educator, there are a whole army of teachers that are willing to go out here and, and canvas for you, um, being that I'm passionate about um, transportation. There actually is a transit activist community that believes in having greater equity in transit, more access, um, other um, other groups that, that will support you. Um, the same for small business. I get a lot of support from small business owners because they know that I see them, that I care about them. They have a lot of events in support of me and it translate in, translates into the work that you do every day because um, whether you're in city council or on school board, you still break yourself often to kind of specific area of expertise and that's really when you can have the greatest impact. So let's say you're great at finance and if you run for school board you're able to dig into that budget and really say, right, okay, I right. know, you know, in regards to increasing routes for, you know, school bus service because of COVID, knowing the financial impact of that. Or maybe you were in um, the anti-racism space in the school. So you're on school board and can really speak to how um, our curriculum can be more reflective of um, the American black experience. So um, it connects you with people and it also makes you so much more effective when you are not elected, when you have an issue that you care about. And I also wanna end with, um, you really need to be a jack of all trades, um, uh-huh. particularly in the general assembly or in Congress. One of my other Mm -hmm. mentors, um, Deborah Ross, I worked on her US Senate campaign and she's now in Congress. We ironically won the same year. Um, So she's in Congress, I'm in the state Senate. And she would get up every morning and literally read the New York Times. You have to really be up on all the um, recent issues. You'll deal with a little bit of everything. Um, This last Thursday is a great example. This last Thursday, I got a briefing on um, COVID-19 vaccinations and where we were with those. I was working with a constituent that wanted clemency. I was working with local governments on the Crown Act so that we aren't subjected to discrimination based on our hair. And also had a two hour budget briefing about um, from the, the Department of Commerce to, to agriculture and that was just one day, you know, so I deal with so many different issues um, that may seem disconnected but just having the ability to um, Be present every day and really to dig into issues and be and being willing to continue to learn every day because information is always changing and you're drinking from that fire hose every day.
0: Wow. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that because out of all of that busy schedule that you had, you had time to connect and say, "Yeah, I'll be a guest on the grip." So once <laughs> again, you know, we really appreciate you coming through and, and and being here with us. I asked you to kind of dig a little deeper into that because I think oftentimes um, that if individuals are not um, really understanding what your role is, what you are trying to accomplish. Um, then they see a life of public service and and politics as as an area that they may not want um, to get involved in. So I really appreciate you going a little bit deeper into that and sharing um, today so that we could get, you know, just a better feel, especially listening to that schedule and things uh, of that nature. Um, We're going to talk about um a bill that you co-sponsored in a minute but it's been in the news durham is your area so can you tell me how did this whole thing come up about this this hair thing and the discrimination issue i mean (laughs) since we're here on the show um do you see it going further across the state i mean you all are blazing the trail with it talk a little bit about that whole piece
1: Yes, that is one of my favorite topics. Again, full circle moment and back to finding your issue um, and also leaning on your network. So being that I'm self-employed, I attend a lot of events out of my own pocket. You know, I don't have an employer to say, hey, I wanna go to this conference. So I, um, for one, have a lot of friends in DC. Um, So if you're in politics, it all goes down in DC. And I have attended enough conferences where I know a lot of these national folks and it's actually pretty cool. I'll look on MSNBC and say, oh my gosh, I know them. We're friends. I'll text them and say congrats on getting on MSNBC or CNN today, but one of them, I have to say her name. Ajua Asamoa, and she actually was um a senior african-american outreach advisor to president biden um to throughout the campaign as well as the um inauguration and okay. so she is the premier lobbyist that is behind what we call the crown act c-r-o-w-n and the first state that was able to pass the crown act was california so when mm. you look at those photos and see Governor Newsom signing it into law, Ajwai Asmoa and other women um, are right over his shoulders. So she's been with that movement from the very beginning. We met through all of these conferences and she invited me to a briefing on Capitol Hill. Wow. Um, I think this was probably 2018. So again, on my own Dom said, I'm gonna go up to this briefing and take some other meetings, was chasing some work in DC at the time. And um, so went to this briefing and she literally booked a room in Capitol Hill. There's an auditorium in the U.S. Capitol and it's filled with, with Black women. I, I can't describe what that felt like to come wow. into this space of Black women. Um, Dove was one of the sponsors as well as some of these other um organizations i believe the black joy collective is the name of one of the other partners and the auditorium is full so representative Marsha fudge is there along with um uh, congressman um, cedric richmond who's now a senior advisor for biden um they're saying that they actually want to push this bill even at the congressional level but during the briefing what we found out was um and, and I'm sure you have stories as well, something as simple as, as hair can really impact your ability to find employment. It can right. impact you're discriminated against in the workplace. Um, tying it to my own profession, I'm a politician and I'll be honest, unfortunately, I was very thoughtful about, okay, what, what will I look like? Because um, sometimes, particularly if you're black, and you and, and interact with folks that aren't black, if you have twists, if you have a fro or a twist Ooh. out, some people literally don't know who you are. So right. for me, it became a consistency thing where if I look one way on my campaign um, materials, I wanna be consistent throughout my campaign. But what you'll see is I just had, um, you know, twist in and, and faux locks, so I switch it up. But even as an elected official, I'm very mindful of, okay, you know, what hair are you using for what event, uh, which is very surface. But what I learned at during that briefing is there were HR directors who are black women who could verify they knew for a fact black men and women um, were subjected to discrimination of they looked unkept, they don't look the most professional and they would just so happen to have locks, they would just so happen to have a fro or, um, you know, just so happened to have a twist out. Um, so we we have the data to show that nationwide, this really, really is an issue. The um, story that caught the most media attention out of New Jersey was the young black man that was wrestling in his wrestling match. That's and right. the referee paused the match and he had to cut his locks right there on the spot. Right. And when you really look at that footage, you could just see literally the soul leaving from his body. He was just so demoralized right. publicly. You know, right. and um, I don't think his parents were at that match, but when they learned of it, they were upset and sued. And so that also helped to get more um, national attention for it. Um, Congressman Cedric Richmond cited that to show that it's actually an issue, you know, that man should get behind as well right. um, because it impacts all of us. But what makes the Crown Act different is. Um, that it's not just your hair. The Crown egg argues, and rightfully so, that your hair is an extension of your ethnicity, of your race, mm-hmm. which is protected by law. So that's why it gives it a little more teeth than saying it's just a hair solid, saying you literally are attacking my Blackness by wow. telling me that you're going to discriminate against me just because of my hair. Um, so the strategy here in North Carolina really is an inside-outside strategy. I have to highlight, um, wow, Crystal Richardson, um, Shemeca, um Ebony, um, Gloria De Los Santos. So we have a crown campaign here in North Carolina that's statewide. Okay we have, it's actually national, they've done some talks in other areas, even in um, Philly and other areas, Atlanta, then Action and see. so we really have a network of primarily Black women across the state, trans women as well, that are saying um, we don't want this to continue, and it's not that um, we're asking for anything out of the ordinary when people say, why is this an issue? Because you made it an issue. Right. You know, we, we aren't right. making up these things, we know <laughs> we've been subjected to this discrimination, right. so we're saying we codified in law that you cannot do this. So we, um, as you saw in Durham, they were the first to have a standalone resolution um, that was approved in their work session on Thursday to say um, that in the city of Durham, you cannot be discriminated against um, because of your natural hair. The town of Carborough is considering something similar. They had some of that language in their non-discrimination ordinance. um, The same goes for um, Orange County is now considering it. Um, we've reached out to um, Fed Bill and a number of other areas. So we do want it to go statewide. Then um, I will be filing a bill in the Senate. My colleague in the House, Representative Candy Smith, will be filing a bill. And uh, what I'm really excited about, we've even reached out to the governor's office to see um, what, he, what the, utilize the tools that he has at his disposal as the governor to also provide more Um, awareness. So I will definitely share more details when I can, um, but this will be the year of of the crown act. And I'm really, really excited about it um, since I've been working on it for about three years now.
0: (laughs) Well, this, this, that's awesome because uh, when we start uh, to think about, uh, individuals coming, um, um, against our heritage and our history, um, it is tied so much into how we look and how we present ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier about being your authentic self. Well, my for ladies, being a part of your authentic self is how you um, uh, adorn yourself and how you take care of your hair, how you style it. And when someone else is making a suggestion to you, whether you can or cannot do it in a particular way, mm-hmm. just because it's not their preference, then, yeah, you get ready to get beef and it's getting ready to be a problem. Um, And we've got to open up those doors um, for more dialogue. I believe the conversation with this act and the movement with this act across the state is only going to open up other issues and open up other eyes because it's tied to some other things. Um, And so as we start looking at this, we start looking at inequality and areas where things are just not the way um, that they need to be. And of course, we've got a lot of work to do, but this is such a tremendous start. I wanted you to drop that. I didn't know that you were mm-hmm. that closely tied to it, but I know that you are in Durham and it's happening in Durham. And listen, anything that goes on in like Durham, her. the senators <laughs> got to know something about it. If you don't know nothing about it, there's a problem, because that's your area. All right, this detail <laughs> right here on the grip, I've been holding it down uh, this morning with Senator Natalie Bernhardt. Uh, and I'm so uh, thankful and grateful to have the senator uh, sharing with us on today. And thank you for tuning in and always being so loyal and being so kind um, to tweet out and to share and all that kind of good stuff with us, um, Senator. As you know, we just have this dialogue today. I meant, I know you mentioned about this the crown uh, bill, but you are also co-sponsoring something else. Is it something different? Can you talk a little bit about? Uh, what yes. you have just uh, finished co-sponsoring and uh, having introduced um, 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 in in the general assembly, what's going Absolutely. on there?
1: It um it is going to be such a huge session, and honestly, I'm 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 so humbled because when you're um, a freshman, I was appointed in April 2020, right. um, But I'm still considered a freshman, and so um you have to really fight for the bills that you're able to champion and again luckily was already active with the equal rights amendment before becoming a senator and it's just one of those bills that we we file every session and so what a lot of folks don't know back to tweeting um the response on twitter folks had no idea that we never ratified the equal rights amendment so way back in the 1940s um the democratic party and republican party had in their platform that we needed to pass the Equal Rights Amendment so that um, women could have equal protection under the law and that we could not be discriminated against and we're treated as equals. And um, it was really moving full steam ahead um, really throughout um, the 60s and 70s And um, as the quite frankly, as the conservative movement kind of really rose up and got more powerful, um, it's been chronicled very well. On um, Hulu, actually, did a documentary about Phyllis Schlafly, and so there were a lot of predominantly um, conservative women that stood up and said, "Wait a minute, why do we need to do this? You know, what is this Equal Rights Amendment?" Um, The main argument they use is um, that women would be subjected subjected to the military draft, which simply isn't true. Um, but even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, before she passed said if she could pick any amendment to the constitution, it would be the Equal Rights Amendment. So wow. here we are, it is 2021. Our constitution does not explicitly say that you cannot discriminate against women simply because they are women. That has not occurred. Um, so it's, it came to light again. A lot of folks rightfully so thought the ship had sailed. We, were, we uh, waited too long. Um, there was a time period Um, Really an arbitrary time period where when the ERA uh, was approved in Congress, they said that it had to be ratified. Um, So 38 states had to ratify it within seven years. Then they got another three-year extension. They did not have the 38 states by that time. Nevada moved forward uh, with ratification, Illinois and Virginia. Um, Uh Virginia, um, I believe that was 2020 when Virginia came on board, uh, 2020 or either 2020. And so that gave them the 38 states. But because of who our president was, they didn't move forward and just go ahead and, and acknowledge it <laughs> that it actually happened. And so we, um, what makes this We can only history, imagine. <laughs> he just kind of ignored it, you know, like it doesn't matter because other things have to occur with other federal partners. Um, but what makes this different with the Equal Rights Amendment that we've been fighting for for so long was really a huge part of the feminist movement. Um, okay. Shirley Chisholm all of those women championed the Equal Rights Amendment and we're still trying to get it done here and Gloria Steinem, a lot of those women that you think of when you think of the feminist movement, they were championing the, um, the Equal Rights Amendment. So just this last week on the 21st, um, the US Senate and US House said, we're gonna remove that arbitrary timeline mm. um, that I don't believe any other um, constitutional amendment has been subjected to because it takes time. I mean, 38 states to ratify something, you're gonna need some time to, to get that done. Right. And so they removed that timeline to basically open up the door to say, we can now move forward with passage. So even though we have the 38 states, some states have said that they would rescind their ratification, which legally, we don't believe they have the grounds to do. But then if that happens, we really want two to three other states, including North Carolina, to ratify at the state level to kind of provide that additional cover to make sure we have the 38 states we need for federal passage. So we have never been this close to pass in the ERA, blessed, 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 and humbled to be um, one of the primary sponsors for this bill. So we go back to session on the 27th. We've been doing a lot of press around it. Um, I'll be doing a Facebook ad around it that's actually gonna go live on the 27th. So we're actually gonna file the bill on the 27th, which is our first day of session.
0: And so that's uh, an amazing piece that's getting ready to happen. And as I was listening to you talk, one of the things that I think is key, people wonder why things sometimes don't get passed, why they get rejected. And a lot of times it has a lot to do with the language and how things are constructed and how they are written. So paying attention to our uh, african-american uh, brothers and sisters uh, that are matriculating through elementary school middle school and high school and you got a teacher right now that's riding your back about your writing or whatever take them seriously take a little bit more time to really work through those things because things sometimes just because of the way it's framed the way that it's written can make it be rejected or turned away simply because um, they're they're working to protect their vested interests. Um, And you mentioned earlier uh, with 50% women um, going forth, how can you not have things that are going to protect them in the workplace? They're going to protect them as far as their bodies are concerned, that make them equal partners in everything that goes on. Uh, I just think it's a tremendous piece. So I commend you um, on your work and the team that you were working with and is working with you and everything that you've got going forth because I, I just honestly believe that uh, as we move towards equality, it is it's not just on the um, On the basis of it being a color thing, but it is also a gender thing and we've got to we've got to remember that that um, that the gender piece has been just as huge as the color thing has been down throughout the years as we go forward. Senator, what can you tell us about COVID-19 in North Carolina? Yes. You know, know, and unfortunately, uh, the governor has really been working diligently and working hard. um, um, And and sometimes we get negative press and once again, language, how people decide they wanna frame stories. Um, but um, what, what can you tell us about the COVID-19 rollout and what can we expect, um, whatever information you can share with us about COVID-19 North Carolina?
1: Yes, um, I believe in, in openness and transparency and actually began my day um, watching some footage from um, Dr. Anthony Fauci. So first and foremost, leadership does start at the top and um, what unfortunately was very well Um, documented was we were void of a national plan. A lot of us feared that, but now we know for a fact um, that there was no national plan in place. And so um, the reason that that's significant is it had pretty much left up to the states to kind of figure it out. Um, The standards weren't the same for everyone. So they really did not have that federal and, and state coordination to really get this vaccine out on the street. Um, So first and foremost, thrilled that the Biden administration is here, that they're keeping Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, the chief of staff to um, President Biden, was actually very active in um, the Ebola um, outbreak under um, President Obama. So he is an individual that is very aware of how to deal with pandemics and the global impact. I'm glad that we've joined the World Health Organization again. Um, so that we we have those global partners. So um, at the federal level, um, President Biden's goal is to vaccinate 100 million people in his first 100 days. Here at the state level, um, we've really worked tirelessly to ramp up the vaccine as quickly as possible under really difficult circumstances. Back to that federal-state coordination, it's difficult to plan when from week to week you literally do not know how many vaccines that you're going to get. So having the ability to have... Um, uh, a a firm number to even plan around to know what is the overall statewide allocation going to be so that we then know what are the counties going to get, what are the clinics going to get, what are the health departments going to get. So as a result of that, um, just this week alone, um, we are working to allocate 280,000 doses in one week. So that is... um, um, that was actually the previous week. and So for the coming week, um, the week of the 27th, um, we will be getting 120,000 um, doses on um, the street and into arms. And um, I think what's something that is exciting that we are gonna do a little bit differently, are larger vaccination events, as you know, in the Charlotte area, I believe the Bojangles Coliseum is a site. Um, Durham is working on a larger site. Uh, we're utilizing some of our high schools since you know classes are not physically in session um, for the majority of our, our school districts. So we're right, can- right. our gyms. Um, so we're working on getting a lot more creative, looking for more drive-through locations, even in Sampson County. I see that they have two drive-in clinics um, just this weekend. Um, you know, as a as a faith leader, we also want to lean more into kind of more community-based efforts where you know right. we information to people. That's accurate information. Um, I know um, at my church here in Durham, St. Mark, um, having, you know, workshops and information so that you can really, really get super, super local with individuals that you actually know instead of just folks at the state or at the federal level to have community conversations. Um, worked with Pastor Jay Augustine, um, co-sponsored an event through his church, St. Joseph's, one of our most historic African-American churches in the state, let alone in Durham, um, with our health department to dispel myths. Um, also want to speak to um, African-Americans honestly have a right to be skeptical. I mean, we have a history uh, where we've been discriminated against, implicit bias that continues to exist in the medical community. Right. So we're fighting battles where people have a history of being skeptical of um, their medical providers and, and treatment um, and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, from the eugenics movement to, you know, the Tuskegee experiment, we have so many examples to point to. So we are fighting that. And what the numbers are showing us is that that fight is critical, because there are some areas where black and brown people that have access to the vaccine, um, and some of these facilities, they have rejected it up to a 40% rate.
0: Wow, now that's obviously- alarming. That's, that's a high number.
1: Even with folks that are having access to the vaccine, um, so many black and brown people are saying no, I don't don't want any parts of this, I don't wanna do this. So it's very, very complex, but we definitely wanna get more vaccines on the street. Definitely invest in more education, in um, a lot of your local communities, you'll see well-known folks here in Durham. Everyone knows who Mayor Bell is, you know? So we want, you know, Mayor Bell to um, say, I'm getting my vaccine. This is what my experience is like. And also working with those frontline, you know, workers, right. you know? Right. when. When you get it and you work in a nursing home or you work at a hospital, sharing what that experience is like so that we can get more people to get vaccinated because we really need 70 to 80% of the population to be vaccinated to finally really, really break through. Um, and also wanna highlight Governor Cooper has enlisted um, the, um, the assistance of, um, you know, our, our army reserve to say, right. our national guard to say, we have to do everything we possibly can to get this out. So you will start seeing them um, being deployed ap- across the state to just assist us with the logistics of actually getting vaccines in arms.
0: Well, I know here in Charlotte, this, this weekend right now, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they are doing, uh, at the, uh, uh the motor speedway. Um, And and so they had that event going on. And so the reports have been, it's it's gone, it's gone forth uh, very seamlessly. Uh, Everything has been cool with it, but all the appointments, uh, you know, were booked up. Um, And so they were excited about that. This coming up weekend in Charlotte, it is going to be Bank of America Stadium uh, Mm -hmm. that they're supposed to be having. So they got that going forth. So I think that we have that, but I want to say to some individuals who are skeptical, um, and and going forth um that um oftentimes we become skeptical about things because of a lack of knowledge. We yes. haven't gotten the knowledge that we need to be able to have. And let's just face it, we put a lot of things in our bodies. Uh we consume a lot of stuff and we don't know what's in it. And so you know, if we're gonna start this argument that we don't know what's in the vaccine, then we do need to trust some of our African-American leaders and other persons in the health profession who have already been vaccinated um, to to be able to give us commentary so to help ease us on on that end. Um, You agree with that, um, Senator?
1: Absolutely, and and thank you. Um, uh, I also wanna highlight a black woman developed this vaccine. Um, Talk about it, talk about it. Doctor from right here in North Carolina my roots actually go back to Orange County. She is from Hillsboro, North Carolina black woman UNC grad and she was at the forefront of the development of this vaccine and um, I actually will connect you to she's doing interviews like this.
0: Well, I need to talk to her so we need to talk afterwards.
1: I will gladly connect you to because she is that dedicated to this work. She did a virtual event in Orange County just a few weeks ago. Obviously, folks know her father, so it was actually very easy for them to, to get a hold of her in Orange County. But at any rate, um, to, to say, to share what we're sharing, really to dispel those myths. Um, and, and you're right, I haven't received it, full disclosure, but I do have a number of, um, from physicians to, to nurses, I know a lot of the folks who've had the vaccine, um, their side effects have been very mild, so I think we also have to um, be open and honest about what we're experiencing. One of my mm-hmm. line sisters provided a very long um, detailed kind of hour by hour, play by play of what she experienced just to get that out there, um, but, you know, she's a doctor, you know, she mm-hmm. cannot... Um, you know, put herself at risk. And I think at the end of the day, taking the risk of dying by succumbing to COVID-19. I have at least nine, if not 10 family members who have tested positive just in the last two weeks alone. Wow. Um, unfortunately, lost some family members. So to me, it, it it's honestly a simple decision. You know, do you want to risk dying um, right. and having long-term effects? We don't even understand COVID-19. We still have groups of people that have long-term effects. I think, unfortunately, you hear from folks that are asymptomatic and you know thought that it wasn't that bad, but people are still dying. The vast majority of them are black and brown people. Right. And um, months later, um, I think they call them um, um, long-termers or something that 6 8 months later they're still experiencing symptoms they simply can't explain. So we don't even know the long-term impacts of COVID-19. And again, as a community, we cannot really move forward until folks do get vaccinated. So really providing that education. And again, you, you know, if you don't live the healthiest lifestyle and eat all kind of crazy stuff, right. you you definitely aren't in a great position to to be skeptical, you know, because right. There's so many other things that you do that are so much riskier than just getting vaccinated. And it's just the, the responsible thing to, to do at this point because even the folks that went through the initial trial, they have been monitoring them for weeks and we haven't seen anything, you know, out of the ordinary or, or any cause to say we aren't going to move forward. Um, and we also will have two other vaccines coming online. Um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, I don't know the date of that, but that one is one dose. So now we have um, a vaccine that doesn't require that deep, deeply cold um, deep freezer storage, which is very helpful as far as getting the vaccine out there. Right. If the area doesn't have those super freezers, you know, to keep the vaccines cold. Um, so now we have a vaccine that doesn't require that refrigeration and then Johnson and Johnson will come out with a vaccine that's only one, one shot. So definitely we will keep, keep at it, but um, we, we are hopeful that at least by June, as many people that wanna get vaccinated as possible can, and particularly our 65 and up population, they're still our primary focus. Um, and I will highlight in West Virginia, um, they have been deemed as the most successful state in getting it out, okay. and they pretty much kept it simple and said 65 and up, show us your ID, get vaccinated, and they actually have all of their vaccines in, in the arms. So Wow.
0: Wow, Well, certainly again, I think that it is important um, that we educate our peers, um, our colleagues, um, our friends, our family, the general public, education is the key. Um, We're able to dis, um, uh, to um, bring down myths and uh, dismiss information, which we know too well, <laughs> um, if we can talk about it and talk about it with people you know. See, that's the key. If I'm talking with Senator Natalie Murdoch and I happen to know who she is, then I'm taking her at her word that she yes. believes that this is going to go forth. Well, I may not know. A particular person's mother, father, sister, and brother. But if but essentially, if someone else knows them who's connected to you, then they'll become more at ease with the information. So it's it's key for us to get this information out for pastors to be able to talk about it, for churches to get on board and to be able to talk about it. Um, because no one wants to be the reason or the cause for a super spread or for a number of people to pass. Simply because we had an opportunity to do something and we just, you know, turned our heads and, and went in the other, other direction. Senator, I really appreciate you being with me today on the grip. We have covered a lot, a lot of ground. Yeah. And then we probably could uh go on and talk about some other issues, but I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, to, to share with me on today, and uh, we're praying for you, uh, for your Thank success, you. um, this, not just this coming up week with the work that you've got, but for the long haul, um, because we Thank certainly you. see that you are on track to do some great and phenomenal things, not just in the state of North Carolina, but man, uh, for this country, and Thank who you. knows, um, we'll be looking back in a couple of years, and you'll be waving at us um, from some event uh, in Washington, again, um, not just being a visitor, but being a participator. So we, we really appreciate um, all that you do and, and for you being on the show. Any final words from you? And, and we're going to get out of here on the day.
1: Yeah, just again, thank you for for having me Um, and just definitely utilize the resources of your local health department if you want to get more information about your vaccine um, because we really do see a lot of differences from county to county. So um, definitely reach out to them Um, and also folks that want to keep up with me on all social media. um, You can find me at Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, F-O-R-N-C. So I'm on um, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. I'm I'm Natalie for NC Senate. Um, So definitely stay in touch. Um, again, we go back into session on the 27th. So definitely reach out to your um, local representative or senator and please communicate with them of, of what you want. You know, if you don't tell us, um, then, then we, we don't know. Uh, we are here to fight for you and to work for you. Um, so be sure to, to reach out early and often, stay safe. Um, and also still do not forget the basics to wear a mask, wash your hands, um, you know, stay home as much as you can only essential travel and, and, um, and just just to stay safe because um, people are still dying it is still still very real we haven't gotten out of the woods with this. Um, so just want to encourage um, everyone to, to stay safe.
0: Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. And uh, we're just uh, hopeful is the word we're hopeful oh. for. Uh, North Carolina, we're hopeful for the country that 70 to 80% are going to become vaccinated and 2021 is gonna take that turn. And we're gonna to not necessarily get back in what we call normal, but get back to the life that that we need to be experiencing at this time. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'll be reaching thank out you. to you so we can make that contact, certainly. And oh yes, uh, have a great have day, rest up and get ready for your week coming up, and we'll be praying for you. All right. All
1: right,
0: <laughs> all right. thank you. Have a good one.
1: Uh-huh. All right. You too. Have a great
0: Okay, we have today had this wonderful opportunity to have Senator Natalie Murdoch with us here on The Grip, and man, was she dropping it, was she sharing some knowledge with us, man, she was putting it down and helping us uh, with so much, and I'm so thankful um, to just being able to have that dialogue. So listen, you keep it locked right here on Saturdays on The Grip And hey, if you want to share it with somebody else uh, later on this afternoon, usually takes about a couple of hours, but it's then transferred uh, to uh, our Apple podcast. And you can go back and check out some other episodes with us. We got a phenomenal month coming up. It's February. That's all I'm going to say It's February. And so uh, we got a great month coming up and um, some giveaways and some other things that we're going to be doing. So Um, keep us in the mix. All right, this D-Dub. Hey, hey, David Anthony, Senior Servant Leader of the Greater Gasimony. Amy Zion Church, your host for The Grip. I'm out. Take care. All right. We love you. Peace.